Last week, we talked about community. And then we tried to practice a little bit of community with a chili uh, cook-off and fall fest last week. And I just wanted to thank Mandy and Katie. Like, give them some of this. Um, They did a ton of work. Um, And you need to understand, uh, this is like just something that came from inside. They're just like, we need to be together. We need to celebrate together. We need to have some some traditions for our kids to be excited about. Um, Had a blast last week. Um, I just want you to know that we are heading in a place as a church where we're kind of sensing a direction that God is leading us in. Um, And if I'm really honest with you, it's a little overwhelming. Um, I have been thinking a lot in our leadership team and staff about kind of where God is taking us, who we are as a church. I've shared with you before that just in the last two and a half years, there's just been a lot of little iterations of who we are as Restoration Covenant Church, and uh, we're just sensing a path forward. Um, We have two more weeks in this series that we're teaching called The Way of Tov. Now, if you've missed some of these weeks, you need to understand this is part of the direction of where we're going. And so I'd encourage you to catch up on the podcast. The podcast is all caught up. Um, If you would like to take some time to, throughout your week, on your commute, on a walk or whatever, and catch up, I don't say that with like a bunch of hubris, like, listen to me, you know? But I would just want to encourage you that this is kind of part of the direction of where we're going. And on our birthday, which is two weeks from today, we're going to share a little bit more about kind of what that looks like, okay? So as we finish the series. So, but let me start the teaching for this morning um, by a story from the early church, like I've been doing, okay? Um, at around AD 112, there was a guy named Pliny the Younger. Now, Pliny the Younger was a Roman governor, and he was a Roman governor in the area that we think of as modern-day Turkey. And Pliny the Younger was frustrated. He was frustrated about this group of people that continued to gather together and worship this foreign god. And it wasn't a bad thing that they were worshiping a foreign god, but they were worshiping this foreign god in a way that discounted all the Roman gods. We've had this conversation before about what that meant. Now, he reported to the emperor at the time, and the emperor at the time was named Trajan. He reported to Trajan, he said this, and this won't be on the screen, he said this, uh, we need to deal with the church. These Christians meet on a fixed day in the early morning to sing responsively to Christ as to a God. And later that same day, they would assemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. Just ordinary food. And this was a problem because they were frustrated that this was such a a movement, such a growing community within the empire. Today, I want to talk about hospitality. And I want to talk hospitality, and you're like, again? 
Yes, again. We did a series of about three years ago called Eating with Jesus. And to be honest with you, it was probably, I was kind of shocked by it. It was probably the most, um, it was one of those series that just kind of took off. People started practicing hospitality and doing things that they normally didn't do. And what you need to understand is hospitality for me is something that I feel is becoming a practice in this community. That we want it to become a practice, something that we actually like things in our lives, practice doing. Try it again. Try it again. Get better at it. In fact, it's something that's one of our core values as a church. Because here's, here's the statement I want to lead off with. Whom you eat with says a lot about who you are, or at least about who you think you are. Raise your hand if you eat. I know, that was, <laughs> that was a softball. You're eating right now. By the way, how are the rolls? There you go. All right, good. All right. That's Mandy right there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who you eat with says a lot about who you are and a lot about who you think you are. Think about the meals you've shared with people this week. Um, who comes to mind? Family, Right? Maybe a neighbor, maybe just by yourself. Maybe you've just had a lot of meals by yourself this week. For most of us, the companions at our meals will typically be friends, family, uh, or, you know, coworkers potentially. Maybe you eat, you have like a lunchroom. Um, people who are already part of our normal pattern of life, Right? It's more unlikely, though, that our table companions are people of a different socioeconomic background or far different from us politically or another religion or someone struggling with a severe addiction or someone who's homeless or someone who's physically disabled or somebody who has a mental illness, it's probably not as likely. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just, just trying to be honest. My meals generally are with people that I know well, family, friends, neighbors, um, some of you. And it's easier for me to just hand money to someone who needs a meal than it is to actually share a table with them, right? Sharing meals, though, is a really powerful thing. Eating with someone at the same table and receiving guests into your home or entering into somebody else's home for a meal, these function as opportunities for us to have friendship, and a sense of intimacy with another person. You're eating the same food. You're sitting at the same table. And so here's my thesis for today. We are saved, you and I are saved by God's hospitality. All through scripture, it points to this. We are saved by God's hospitality. Therefore, hospitality is our only response. And we're going to jump into this with scripture. 
you're like, prove it. Um, But before we begin to examine what Jesus says about his mission, we need to take note about what God's, you know, overarching approach to humanity has been. A lot of you get afraid to jump in the Old Testament. You're like, it's weird. There's wars and crazy stuff. And But I believe that the depiction of God as the divine host is all through Scripture. Israel's Scripture uh, of God, the Old Testament, is often portrayed as God being the host. He provides, for instance, manna and quail. Remember when the Israelites were in the desert, in the wilderness, Exodus 16. Um, The psalmist in Psalm 23 talks about God, uh, in a sense, providing a table of peace and divine nourishment. Uh, God's interaction with Abraham about being a blessing to the nations has this idea of feeding that comes through the, the, the Hebrew words. Um, He's depicted in Leviticus 25 as the owner of the land that grants access for the nation to be a guest in. Um, God promises that one day he will act as a a host of uh, of a banquet that will inaugurate the kingdom, a huge banquet. And then God's climactic act of salvation for his people will come in the, in the form of God sharing his presence with his people through hospitality. These are all themes throughout Scripture. Isaiah 25, Terry read. I'm going to reread it. This is a different version. It says, On this mountain the Lord will all, will, our Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him. He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. A feast, right? Isaiah 55, listen to this. This is a little further on. He says, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters and you, will, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. This is just this ongoing theme in scripture of, of a table, right? Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel talks about this a bit. He, he talks about one of his tasks God's task will be providing food and nourishment for the people. In other words, Israel looks forward to a time when God and God's Messiah come to share this divine welcome, this salvation, a peaceful relationship with them through table fellowship, through welcome. 
And this is the context that we see Jesus really embody in the New Testament. Jesus in the Gospels shows up and he is eating with people and table fellowship and he extends hospitality. And it's this like foretaste, right, of this huge future banquet. First teaching of Jesus, the absolute first teaching of Jesus. He shows up at the temple. This is Luke chapter 4. He unrolls the scroll of Isaiah to the spot he wants to read, and he, and he lifts it up and he reads. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Some of you are like, well, he doesn't mention anything about eating. But I want you to notice what he says here. He declares that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Okay? And this is, um, and, that, and that the result of that is to proclaim the year of the Lord's welcome. We translate it in some of our Bibles that says favor, but that actually means welcome. To proclaim the year of the Lord's welcome. He's quoting Isaiah 61. So in other words, the year of the Lord's welcome is established and enacted throughout Luke's gospel in the ministry of Jesus. So what we'll see here is a whole bunch of places in Luke that Jesus is welcoming. And the point is really simple but important. Jesus is more than a prophet or an important religious leader. His purpose is to embody God's hospitality towards the stranger and the oppressed. That's his purpose. And the function of Jesus' Nazareth sermon is, is to invite the reader to pay attention to the way in which the entire part of Jesus' life, and particularly his meals with strangers, shows hospitality. Okay? Both Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 58 are texts that talk about welcome and this idea of releasing people. It's like a really beautiful language. A guy named jo Joshua Jip, he wrote a, a great book on hospitality. It's kind of an, if you really want to nerd out. He says, the God of the Christian scriptures is a God of hospitality. A God who extends hospitality to his people and who requires that his people embody hospitality to others. Like this is, this is like how it all comes together. And so this was a rule and not an exception to Jesus's life. Okay. In Luke, there are 50 references to food in Jesus 50. In Matthew, there's 94. But I'm going to list a few of these out. Luke 2, he was born in a feeding trough. Think about the image of that. Luke 5, uh, dinner at Levi's house. And then there's a dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. 
There's the feeding of the 5,000. There's Mary and Martha in that whole scene. There's dinner with Pharisees again. Um, he, he has some teaching. When you throw a party, invite the poor. It was this idea of like, who's like important around the table. There's the prodigal son. Remember when the oldest one's like, we're throwing a party for this guy, right? Parable of the rich and Lazarus. Dinner at Zacchaeus' house, the last supper, the road to Emmaus. Tim Chester wrote a book called A Meal with Jesus. And if you want to really have fun, it's like, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy read. It's like, it's like this much. He writes this. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. And I would add this, or talking about a meal. Because he talked a lot about a banquet feast, Right? So I'm, I'm kind of digging Jesus. He talks about food a lot. And so in, 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 in some ways, and this is what Tim Chester's argument is, he's got a verbal formula for what he's doing and why he's doing it. It says in Luke 19 that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That that's Jesus' mission. To seek and save the lost. Well, in Luke 7, it says uh, that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. So Tim Chester makes the point that this is almost like a formula for Jesus. That the Son of Man came to seek and save the, lo- save the lost, but he came doing that. How? Eating and drinking. This is why he was called a drunkard and a glutton by the Pharisees. They're like, this guy's always eating and drinking. That's because he's always trying to seek and save the lost. It has a huge component. And Jesus lived in a culture that was hostile to his way of life. And his way of life was different than the Pharisees. And it was different than the the Roman society. And so how did Jesus invite people into a different kingdom? One meal at a time. One table gathering at a time. And sometimes Jesus was the guest and he became the host. Like the the story of the road to Emmaus, he's invited to eat um, and stay with these folks, but then he becomes the host and he breaks bread. Um, In Luke's gospel, the second volume, the Acts of the Apostles, it's filled with language and elements of hospitality, food and meals and houses and traveling. And it does, it's that way because it's in order to express something really significant about Jesus and his identity and how God's hospitality is extended to the lost and the broken and the needy and the stigmatized in the world. So divine hospitality comes to us in Jesus, the divine host who extends God's hospitality to sinners, to outcasts, to strangers, and draws them in and makes them friends. And, and it's this relationship with God. So, what does this mean for us? Well, God's embrace of us as human beings, as friends, to make friendship with us, to make relationship with us, is the ultimate form of hospitality. But divine hospitality does not end with our experience of God's welcoming of us. It elicits our 
hospitality of others. So in other words, our friendship with God is the foundation of and the cause for our friendship with one another. Does that make sense? Jesus grants divine hospitality to people without distinction. Just go read the Gospels. He's hanging out with people that we're not religiously cool to hang out with. Prostitutes, basically sex workers, and uh, people who are against the Jewish community, which were tax collectors. He hung out with rich and poor. Jesus shows, shows no fear doing this. He wasn't like, eh, I don't know if I should hang out with these people. <laughs> shows no, no apprehension at all. He's unimpressed with people's ethnicity, their status, their formal religious observance. He's unimpressed with their gender. And he appears indiscriminate. He is just giving hospitality and welcome to anybody. And this annoys the religious leaders. It drives them crazy. Because table fellowship, especially in that culture, meant equal. And Jesus was a male teacher rabbi. So God's hospitality toward us is kind of like exemplified in Jesus. Friendship that he offers us with God, and it creates this foundation of friendship and, and, and welcome for other people. Listen, in this room, okay, we're... When you look around, it doesn't look like we're that different. We, we, we're not that diverse ethnically. We're not that diverse economically, although there could be some of that. We may be pretty diverse on some thoughts on politics and things like that. Let's just be honest. We're actually a pretty diverse church in that regard. I just want to lay that out there. Just get over it. <laughs> um, But there's a sense in which, and we just came off a teaching about community, there's a sense in which we don't choose our family. You don't choose your family. Biological family, in some ways, you, don't, you can choose your church family. I mean, a lot of people do that weekly. But that's the beauty of this. Like, my hope is for you that you would look around and go, this is my family. And I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to disadvantage myself for this person next to me and this person across the room. Humans, our humanity is like the, the part of this that is uh, beautiful is we're created for a friendship with God. That is the intent of God. That is the intentionality. That is what is good. That is very good. That is tov. We're created for that relationship with God. We're created for that relationship with each other. That was the intention right? And then sin enters, and what is sin? Sin is disordered desire. When we have desires that are disordered, that becomes sin. Not all desire is sin. 
So both sets of relationships have been fractured by disordered desires of wealth, status, power. And the gospel of Luke introduces us to a savior who both restores our broken relationship with God and begins to show us how the healing can extend to the relationships around us. And clearly, Jesus' identity and his teaching are foundational for us to understand what our purpose and identity are, what our vocation is. And you're like, my vocation is a teacher. That's your secondary vocation. Your primary vocation is to partner with God in the healing and the bringing people back into relationship with him. And so if we apprentice Jesus, if we follow Jesus, we must view our meals, our tables, our homes significantly different than the culture around us. Leonard Sweet wrote this in a book he wrote called From Table to Tablet. He says, an untabled faith is an unstable faith. A neglect of the table in our churches is echoed in families and communities. What does he mean by that? He means we've kind of abandoned this idea of bringing people to our table. And that's actually having an effect on our faith. It breaks it. It mars it. When we bought this building... Which, guys, it was still, it was a very hard decision. It wasn't pretty and it's not perfect and all those things. But when we bought this building, I told you as a church last January, I don't know if you guys remember what I said, but I said this the most important place in this church, as far as a physical location in this church community, is not this building. It's not in this building at all. It's actually your kitchen table. That's the most important location in our church. Simon Carey Holt, who is a chef, I think from Australia, I can't remember, he wrote this. It's good to be reminded that the table is a very ordinary place a place so routine and everyday that it's easily overlooked as a place of ministry. At its base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation, providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome and where God's spirit can be at work in their lives. Hospitality is a very ordinary business, but in its ordinariness, it is its real worth. Whatever it looks like, your own table is a sacred place. And that brings us back to the Last Supper. So the Last Supper in Luke 22, the day of unleavened bread. Let me just read chapter 22 verse 7 says, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. 
So Peter and John go ahead and they create, they set the table. They become the hosts. And in verse 19, it says, And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, if you were a good 18-year-old Jewish young man, like many of these were, you knew much of Hebrew Scripture. Hebrew Scripture told a story through the Passover that was about covenant and about blood. Covenant and blood. Covenant is a relationship that basically is not a contract. Covenant relationship is no matter what, I will fulfill my end. And this is, the wine is passed as the new covenant. This is a covenant from God through Jesus to us. And they are recalling, they are recalling in their own rehearsing of the events of Passover what they were being rescued from. Slavery. And so what we learn if in Jesus is if Jesus had a method for showing people the way, it was through eating and drinking. And yes, here's the thing. You guys are like, but, but what about opening up scripture and preaching the gospel. I'm all for that. But it seems to me that right now in our cultural moment, if I'm just reading the room (laughs) in our world, it may be better to open our homes and eat a long meal. It may be better to just spend time with people that no upstanding religious leader would ever spend time with. It may be talking with your neighbors or your coworkers over a long meal about meaning that they have in life and listening to them and asking questions and hearing their story and their fears and their ideas. And not responding, you know, like, oh yeah, but what about? (laughs) And if the time comes, share with what you're working through in your apprenticeship to Jesus. What would it look like? The NT, uh, (laughs) NT, it's NT in my notes. The New Testament writers (laughs) call this hospitality. And here's a little, I guess, definition to do my best. Hospitality, expressing the welcome of God to all through tangible acts of love, ideally through giving food, shelter, and relationship. It's hard to define it. And it's hard to define it because hospitality is really a heart posture that leaks out in tangible acts. It's just really, it's a heart posture. Last week, we Romans 12, it says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice 
What do you do when you're not good at something? You, you, you don't avoid it. You practice it, right? And you get better, and you get better, and you get better. First Peter, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Can you imagine? <laughs> all right, here's some bread, whatever. You know, like, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Hebrews 13, keep on loving one another. Keep on, keep on, keep on practice. As brothers and sisters, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, doing for by so doing, people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. That's a very powerful idea. Never once have I heard, (laughs) but it would be amazing if this happened, never once have I heard a story of a pastor of a church being let go for not practicing hospitality. But I think that would be awesome. (laughs) You know? Um, Let me just tell you a quick story about this building you're, you're sitting in right now. 30 years ago, 1992, the fall of 1992, I came to this church. This is kind of crazy. I know. Um, I was like four pounds lighter. (laughs) Surprising, right? I know. Did pretty well. Four. (laughs) Henderson. My friend's dad, Chip Taylor, his dad, Bill Taylor, was the pastor of this church. It was our Vada Church of God. And I came as a starving college student. And uh, I, the reason why I came, because my buddy Chip was doing something. I think he was teaching or something. And he's like, you should come and afterwards come over for lunch. And I came with a couple other guys, and we got invited to the pastor's house after for lunch. And we're talking. It was like country harvest buffet, man, at this house. I was blown away. Like I said, I was a starving college student. And it had such a huge impact on me. Somebody didn't even know me, invited me over for lunch afterwards. Like 30 years ago. How crazy it is. And now that we bought the building, right? This church building housed a church that was very hospitable. And if you ask the neighbors, they'll say the same thing. Do you know the three houses across the street are built on land donated by this church to Habitat for Humanity? And all three of those families are the original people. So we have a legacy to live up to, right? If you apprentice Jesus, you are commanded to carry on the practice of hospitality. It's not an option because you have experienced the hospitality of God. So what do we do now? Well, we act. We practice. Acting it out. 
Embodying hospitality helps us. Here's the thing. It helps us feel God's welcome of us. You're like, I don't know if I feel, if I've experienced God's love lately. Why don't you have someone over? <laughs> don't you welcome somebody into your home? Sometimes the action precedes the feeling. I mean, this is the, the brain wiring stuff we've been talking about. Sometimes we have to do something before we feel it. So, we're going to practice this together. Now, for some of you in the room, you're real good at having people over for dinner or lunch or whatever. Um, but some of you, man, it takes, it takes a little bit of work. Invite somebody over. Start hosting. For some of you, like me, it's hard to be the guest. It's awkward sometimes, right? Like, am I going to like the food or, you know? know. That's my first question. might not be yours, but I'm just kidding. We need to practice being hosts and practice being guests. Your next step might be a simple invite somebody over. Maybe it's someone in this place. Maybe it's lunch today. Yeah, but I got, I know. We all got the I gots. <laughs> there's probably a little Caesars on the way home. Or a better pizza place. <laughs> Your neighbors. Who lives across the street next door? Have they ever come into your home, let alone sat at your table? My neighbor's weird. Perfect. (laughs) Here's the other thing in the room. I just want to recognize, if you're single, you live alone, or maybe you live with roommates, that's tough, right? Like, I'm going to have people over um, deal with it. I know we share this table, but... (laughs) And it's hard to be single and have someone over. And, and, and we've talked in our small group, we have some single folks in our small group that are like, hey, it's weird being single. It's hard being single in this church and a lot of families. If you're going to have somebody over, like invite some of the single people too. Older adults, younger adults, doesn't matter. And if you're single, maybe it's easier for you to like take someone to dinner or have a few people over. Maybe your starting place, our starting place is with each other, but here it doesn't stop with each other. We get to practice on each other. Why? Because it needs to extend out of here and be our neighbors and our coworkers and even people, even on the further ring of our world. You know? Guys, I want to hear stories. I can't have everybody over for dinner. And please don't ask me over for dinner. I know that sounds weird. I just can't, we can't go to everybody's house for dinner. They're like, I'll, try, I'll practice on you, you know, because you did this sermon. Don't practice on me. Practice on each other. It's one of our values I told you earlier. Our value literally reads this. It's on our website. We value hospitality. And we offer belonging to people wherever they are in their belief or non-belief. Church, we're feast announcers. That's our, that's our mandate. 
It's as if Jesus is handing out party invitations from God through me and you. And they read this, you're invited to my party in the new creation, come as you are. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to finish communion. And we're going to do it a little different, because I like messing with you guys. But I'm going to pray, and then um, the band's going to come up, and then we're going to prepare you for communion. Okay? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for welcoming us. Thank you for including us, and you didn't have to. Thank you for throwing the doors open for us. Thank you for setting the table for us. Thank you for offering yourself in bodily form. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken for us. Thank you for your your sacrifice for us. Thank you for the table that in that shows us that your body is broken for us, that your blood has been spilled for us. We're grateful.